All right, so we're going to jump into the word this morning. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even have like a clever intro. <laughs> I just felt like the Lord gave me a word, and so we're going to go for it this morning. But I do have a little bit of a clever um, title for it. All right, and I went back and forth on this, and I'm going to tell you the title I settled on, and then I'm going to tell you the title that like I decided against. All right, so the title I settled on was Stop Talking. Your actions are deafening. The title I was going to name it, but I was afraid that, like, I may not have a job this week, but I'm going to do it anyways, was shut up. Your actions are deafening. Yeah, I I mean, I wanted to shock y'all and and just, like, wake you up a little bit, but I was like, "Mm, I don't want to ruffle feathers. So I went with stop talking. So y'all just pretend you didn't hear me say shut up this morning in church, okay? Uh, Will you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7? If you have it with you, turn with me. When you have it, tell me amen. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen for you this morning, okay? Luke chapter 7. We're going to be talking about Jesus and John the Baptist this morning, but we're going to start in verse number 11, where Jesus heals a widow's son. He heals a widow's son. Are you there? Say amen if you're there. All right. Verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overwhelmed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. So I want to paint a little bit of a picture before we get too deep into text this morning. There is a large crowd, I imagine probably about the size of the people in this room, following a widow whose only son just died. And the Bible says that Jesus was overwhelmed with compassion. And I have to think that that's because the actual, um, the word for uh, uh, a coffin is actually better translated as like a wooden plank or like a stretcher. So in other words, the body was exposed. I bet you it stank too. Now I'm sure it was covered. You didn't see all the mess, but could you imagine you're just going about your day and a whole group of people just mourning. Little did they know who they were about to cross paths with. And so Jesus stopped them. And he said, boy, get up. Now, listen to me this morning. A dead man is laying on a plank of wood. I don't know if you've ever watched CSI or anything else, if you've ever seen a dead body, hopefully not a real one, but at least one like on TV. I want you to get that image in your head for a moment. And then all of a sudden, the boy sits up and he starts talking. Man, I don't know about you, but I am losing my mind. If you're my wife, you're fainting. If you know, you know, okay? If you know, you know. It's an inside joke. Don't worry about it. I'll explain it later, all right? Some of y'all didn't get that. It's all right. Then, verse 15, then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear, it tells us in verse 16, maybe better translated as awe and wonder. Great awe and wonder swept the crowd. 
And they praised God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Now, this is my first kind of point this morning. Notice that Jesus did not correct them when, he said, when they said, a great prophet. We know that Jesus was more than a prophet. We know that Jesus was the son of God, the son of man, that he was God incarnate in the flesh, that it was actually God working in flesh, right? You with me this morning? So that's what we know. But back then, they were still anticipating the coming of the Messiah. They were still waiting for that moment. So to them, he was still a prophet. He was still preparing a way. But let me tell you something. Your actions will always carry you further than your words. That's point number one this morning. Your actions reach further than your words. Jesus did not correct them and say, no, I'm not a prophet, I'm a Messiah. He let his actions, his healing of a dead boy, tell the people who he was. Let me put it another way this morning that's maybe a little bit more applicable to you. Your actions will reach further than your Instagram posts. It will reach further than the amount of likes you get, the amount of comments you get. It'll reach further than a, a, a scene in your story. We're talking about the big picture. When you are operating within the power of the Holy Spirit under the authority of Jesus Christ, word spreads. Those words, the ones that are said in secret, I'm going to get to this in a minute, I'm getting ahead of myself. The ones that are said in secret are going to carry you, not the ones that are praised from a pulpit or praised from a YouTube video or praised on Instagram. What the Lord says about you is more important. Amen? Let's go to verse 18. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything that Jesus was doing. So John called for his two disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we be looking for someone else? Now I want to back up a little bit here to Luke chapter 3. In Luke 3, John the Baptist has his first actual encounter with Jesus. Up until this point, Jesus, or, uh, John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. That's a whole other summary for a whole other day, but John the Baptist and Jesus had already met. In fact, John the Baptist had already even baptized Jesus. And before he baptized him, he said, how am I worthy of baptizing you? Shouldn't you be baptizing me? I'm not even worthy to like carry your sandals. So he said that because he recognized the lordship of Jesus Christ as he was walking. So John the Baptist doesn't wonder who Jesus is. He's doubting in a moment, are you going to do what you said you're going to do? He knew he was Lord, but was he going to actually live up to the prophecies that came before him of what the Messiah was supposed to do in, according to the Jesus, or, uh, Jewish culture? See, the Old Testament prophesied of a Savior that was going to come to set the captives free. And that's become a term in the church culture that gets thrown around a lot. 
Now, it has a lot of weight, but it gets used probably a lot more than it should. But back then, they thought, oh, well, you're coming to rescue Israel from the rule of Rome. But what Jesus is saying is, no, I don't care about your physical body and whether it lives or dies because I'm concerned about your spirit. I'm concerned about eternity. I'm concerned about where are you going? Not where you are. Where are you going? There's grace for where you are. Where are you going? That's Jesus' concern here. So John the Baptist is really just saying, are you sure you are who you say you are and you're going to do what you tell me you're going to do? Let me tell you, if John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus himself with his own hands, has the capacity to doubt, there is grace for you this morning. I don't, I don't think there's a single person under the sound of my voice on fa- listening on Facebook that would ever be able to raise their hand and say, I've never had a doubt in my life. If you are a follower of Jesus, let me tell you for one second what that means. It means you're going to get beat up sometimes. It means the enemy's going to attack you, and he's going to attack you where it hurts you most. You will never be able to sit there and look at me in the eye and tell me in those moments that you have never doubted. John the Baptist physically touched Jesus, lowered him underwater and back up, and even he said, but are you actually going to do what you said you're going to do? He didn't understand what Jesus was doing. Verse 20, John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, or more directly translated in that hour, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Pay attention here. He didn't even answer their question. What did he do? He acted. He healed. He delivered. He set free. When you are living your life in the pursuit of Jesus Christ, and you are operating under his authority, I'm telling you, it will take less than an hour for people to really know what you're about without you ever saying a word. When you are going about your every day, when you are having interactions with people, whether it's five minutes in a drive through line, whether it's while you're waiting to order your coffee at Starbucks and the person in front of you is just taking five ever to like order and you're getting impatient. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm running late to work. Oh my gosh, what? how are you reacting? What are you saying? What are you thinking? Because I'm telling you what you're thinking, what your heart's saying is gonna be reflected in your face, right? So you can tell a person's heart a lot of times without them ever saying a word. And if you are spending time with Jesus, When he gets in you, he is going to overflow out of you. And it will take no time, no time for them to recognize Jesus in you. Now, we are humans, right? We're not going to be perfect all the time. We're going to have moments where we struggle and we slip and we don't reflect Jesus. And the important thing here is, again, if there was grace for John the Baptist, there is grace for you. Your actions 
will either confirm or deny the doubts that are cast against you. Verse number 22. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Why did Jesus do that? Again, he's not even telling him, yeah, go tell them. Go tell John. I'm the Messiah. He doesn't say that. He says, go tell him what you've seen. If you've ever been around any kind of legal proceeding, you will know that a witness testimony is stronger than any um, personal statement. You can sit there and say, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. But until someone comes along that corroborates your story, or there's a video of evidence, or there's something, that witness testimony is always going to weigh more. And Jesus knew John the Baptist did not need to hear me say something with my words. He needed to know that someone saw me act like I was who I say I am. I want to know this morning, like, are we acting in a way to where people around us know that we are who we say we are? Don't ever seek the approval of man by instead the Lord's approval is the only one that is going to keep you afloat. When times are tough, when attacks are coming, when your boat feels like it's sinking, man can only carry you so far before they give in too. But the promises of the Lord are yes and amen. And there's only one thing pastor told us last week. There's only one thing that Jesus can't do, and that's lie to you. And so if he says that he is ever present in our time of need, he's ever present in our time of need. If he says that he is going to be our witness on the judgment day, then let him be your witness. You don't need anybody else. And I don't care who you piss off. Yeah, I, I, I said that. Your vindication, your justification, your salvation does not come from your wife, from your kids, from your boss. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And let the fiery darts of the enemy fly. Because I know where my shield of faith comes from. Because I know that, the, that uh, what the Lord says about me is right and is true and is steadfast. And it cannot be shaken. That's the foundation we stand on. After John's disciples left, this is verse 24, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. Now I want to pause right here for just a second. Again, Jesus does things like in a very peculiar but specific way. He waits until the disciples are gone before he starts talking about John. What is said about you in secret is much stronger than what is said about you in public. It is easy to stand up and, and sing the praises of someone that you don't like when you're in front of a bunch of people because you don't want to be that guy, right? You don't want to be the one that dislikes or talks bad about. But when you get into a secret place with someone, that's when like the real heart comes out. What you say about someone and what is said about you when you are not in the room or they are not in the room, 
weighs so much more than what you say face to face. The praise you receive in secret will carry you further than anything said in public. Continuing 24, what kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? This is Jesus talking about John. Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in the palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare a way for you. Uh, I'm sorry, he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, all who have ever lived, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John, yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. This is Jesus talking about servanthood here. This is about Jesus saying, John came not for his own ministry, but to till the land, so to speak, for Jesus's ministry. He came to serve his purpose. Serving is an action. It is not a cliche character trait that we throw around in church when we want you to do something or help with something. Servanthood is a lifestyle. It is how you treat your spouse. It is how you treat your kids. It is how you treat your clients at work. God blesses those who stoop down so that he can raise you up. Verse 29, when they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right, for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. To what can I compare the people? This is Jesus talking, and by people he means um, those that, have, that were alive in that time that witnessed his uh, miracles that witnessed his ministry, but rejected it. For, to what can I compare the people of this generation? Jesus asked. How can I describe them? They are like children playing a game in a public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. Now, I got to tell you, this is like the biggest part of this scripture that I wrestled with. Okay, God, what are you trying to say? And the Lord spoke to me very clearly, and this is a word that I think that the whole church, and when I say church, I mean capital C, body of Christ church, needs to hear in November of 2020. In other words, they're complaining, you didn't do it my way. You didn't preach the message I wanted to hear. You're rattling our ideologies. You're shaking up my cultural norms. Jesus is saying that even in the midst of him ministering and healing, there are still people saying, wait, 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 wait. That's not how I wanted you to do it, man. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that. I don't agree with that. 
All right, so here we're going to get into the meat of this here. Verse 33. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon. John the Baptist was very fringe to most people. We find out in Matthew chapter 3 that John the Baptist lived in the wilderness, that he was literally clothed in camel's hair, that he ate, survived on locust and honey. I'm just going to tell y'all, if I saw some homie walking down the street and he's wearing camel hair and he's like popping locusts and he's guzzling honey, I'm going to be like, dude, 20 feet. Six feet ain't enough for you, bud. 20 feet. It's weird, right? But he's setting himself apart. He's saying, look, it's not about the clothes that I wear. It's not about the food that I eat. I'm not relying on this earth to provide me with anything because I know where my provision comes. And I'm going to work and I'm going to focus on my uh, call, which was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. When you follow Jesus and you sell your life out to him, let me just tell you, you're going to be a little fringe for most. Good. I saw a post this week. In fact, my mom shared it to me, with me uh, on Instagram. And it simply said, let's make pastors uncool again. I don't know about you, but like I grew up, okay, well, I grew up knowing that ministry was something that I wanted to do with my life. From a young age, I knew that. And I looked at, looked up to many, 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 many pastors who had thousands and thousands and thousands of people and multiple and multiple and multiple campuses. And I want to be very clear. I'm not talking trash about any of that. There's a place for that. God has anointed many men to lead many people that only God put them there, and there is nothing carnal about that. But I idolized their status and their coolness in the public eye. But it has taken me until almost 30 years old to realize I don't care how cool I look. I don't care who likes me. I don't care who's on my train because I know where I'm going. And I'm going to take you with you if you want to come. And if you don't, go on. I'm not losing sleep over you. That's the call of Jesus. John's call was to prepare the way of the Lord. His call was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ came as man 2,000 years ago, but he is coming again to call you back again. And this time, he's not going to hang out on earth and and be all pretty and tell you, hey, let me come down and just like heal you where you're at. Let me forgive you of your sin. No, he's coming again to say, if you believe in me, come to heaven. And if you don't, there's a place called hell. And I believe that hell is a real place. It is not some figure of speech or separation from God by itself. It is a place eternally separate from heaven. You as a Christian are called to prepare the way of the Lord now because he is still coming again. 
Our mission is to be like Christ. And what did Christ do? Yes, he healed. Yes, he set people free in a physical sense too. But anytime Jesus healed someone, at least what it shows in the Bible, in my Bible anyways, the healing wasn't the point. Healing of the soul was the point. Being reconciled with God the Father, creator God, that was the point. And the, the miracle was just a tool to show this is how much I love you. If you are not living a life that displays the love of Christ to the extent that this is how much he loves you, you're not preparing the way of the Lord. I know this is heavy this morning. And part of me wants to apologize, but I'm not gonna. Because I feel like we are in a generation, we are in a time where it, when it's a call for the church to rise up, to be set apart, to not care what I look like, not care what I sound like, not care what I eat, what I drink, what your preconceived ideas of me are just because I raise my hands and call Jesus Lord. I don't care. And you shouldn't either. Because we are in a time where we are preparing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying any kind of prediction about when that's going to be. The Bible very clearly teaches that only the Father knows. But we are called to be prepared and to prepare others because he is coming. We are called and commissioned to emulate and continue Jesus' ministry on this earth. And Jesus' ministry on this earth challenged people's ways of life. It challenged what they accepted culturally. It challenged what they accepted socially. It challenged the way they handled their money. It challenged the way that they interacted with people. And if we believe that this word of God is true and that that is truly our call to be like Christ, then ours should too. And your ministry is not locked inside of the four walls of a church building or when you sign up to go minister at a school or when you sign up to go minister at a Hope Resource Pregnancy Center or, or fill in the blank of whatever, your, uh, whatever area of ministry you serve in within the church. Your ministry is not locked in and confined to those things. You walk your ministry. You talk your ministry you do ministry. Is it challenging people? Is it making people uncomfortable to be around you? It should. That's the cold, hard truth this morning. It should. And going back to my title, stop talking about it. Start doing it. I am so tired of hearing empty words from Christians and non-Christians alike telling me what I should fear, telling me who I should trust, telling me what I should think or what I should say. Caitlin and I even had a really interesting conversation Thursday night that went right along with this. She, we were talking about her college experience. 
And if you've been in college in the past probably 10 years, then I, I think you'll relate to this. There used to be a time when like college was there to help you learn how to think. Now college, oh, mo some colleges, most professors though, I think, teach you how to think. I'm sorry, teach you what to think. They don't teach you how to think, they teach you what to think. And there's, and I, maybe this is just me, but I believe there's only one source of information that I can hold as truth. Everything else can flip or flop with science, can flip or flop with some professional, but the word of God is true and a foundation for us to build our lives on. And when we get consumed in the word, the word will overflow out of us and the word is challenging. The word is a big pill to swallow sometimes. Good. Verse 34. The son of man, on the other hand, this is Luke comparing and contrasting Jesus and John the Baptist. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you still say he's a glutton and a drunk and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. In other words, you can even do exactly what they tell you to do, and they're still not going to like you. Because your validation does not come from me. It doesn't come from your spouse. It doesn't come from your neighbor. If you are lining your life up with the holy word of God, nothing, nothing will be able to rattle you. And instead, your life is going to begin to rattle them. That's our mission this morning. That's our mission tomorrow. That's our mission Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. You get the point. Verse 35 is short and sweet, but this sums up my entire point this morning. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of the people who follow it. People are not going to believe in Jesus because you tell them to. People are going to believe in the power of Jesus Christ to change their lives because they've seen it change yours. So stop talking. Let your actions be deafening. Because the Bible says that his word will never return void. And we may not walk around all the time just talking in scripture. But when you know scripture and you read scripture and you become consumed by scripture, you start talking like scripture and you start speaking life into other people's lives on behalf of scripture because it's true for them just like it's true for you. The only difference is that they haven't grasped it yet but they will see. They will see through your example, through your life, through your lifestyle, through your character, 
through your grace. That's ministry. Your ministry is not your voice. My ministry is not me preaching. Pastor Chris's ministry is not him preaching. Our ministry is our life. And it is for you too. If you never hold a title of a pastor or a minister or an evangelist, you are still ministering every second of every day. We're going to start to to bring this to a a close here. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool keeps silent. A fool who keeps silent is wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in words? There is more hope for, for a fool than him. My challenge to you this morning, Lord help me. My challenge to you this morning is to stop living life by your words, by your Facebook comments, by your Facebook posts, by your Instagram, by who you disagree with, by trying to convert someone to something that you were never intended to do. My challenge to you this morning is to live a life that reflects the power and the grace found in only Jesus Christ. Now here's the good news for you and I this morning. We have all fallen short of it. I have sinned already this morning. I bet you have too. And it's okay. Because there's grace for that. There's a new beginning for that. John the Baptist doubted that Jesus was who he said he was. And it's okay for you to be in a season of life where you go, God, I know you're real, but like, are you? There's grace for that. Your sins and my sins are gonna differ this morning. What you struggle with, what I struggle with, what you doubt, what I doubt, it's gonna change, it's gonna, it's gonna vary. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same God that is faithful to John the Baptist is the same God that is faithful to you and I right now. And he is quick to forgive. I heard it said like this one time, and and this isn't in the scripture, this is just an analogy, okay? I don't think that God is up in heaven counting Okay, so he has sinned 2,436 times. Ugh, 2,437. I think he's actually counting down. I think he's actually going, oh man, I know you screwed that up, but I know a day is coming when you are gonna be restored to glory. You just keep walking. You just keep heading that way. You get back up on your feet and you keep going. You drop the ball, pick it back up. If you're in a place this morning where you're just wrestling with God, 
Maybe some doubts crept into your life. Maybe you've given culture too much power over you. Maybe you've listened to the voices of this world more than you've listened to the voice of God. Maybe you even have some secret sin no one knows about. I believe that God wants to meet with you this morning. I believe that God wants to set you free. I believe that God wants to use your sins to help minister to other people because if God can do it with me, God can do it with you. If God can do it with John the Baptist, John can do it with you. 